0: Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship, where we get to talk about horses. I'm your host, John Hare. And I'm Renee Hare. Thanks for listening and sharing our horsemanship journey. On today's show, we're going to talk about the Best Horse Practices Summit that we attended October 6th through 8th in Durango, Colorado. It was a horse expo of sorts, but a very different horse expo.
1: Some of the differences were that the focus was not really on the vendor center. There were a few vendors there. there. Were vendors, right? Um, a lot of it literature, informational DVDs and books which were very interesting.
0: The focus was on evidence-based horsemanship. So if there was a horsemanship principle that was going to be that was going to be explained or expanded Scientifically exp- proven. Expounded upon. They needed to have evidence-based, scientific evidence, to back their their presentation. It wasn't going to be...
1: It wasn't going to be one guy's opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. There you go. That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> what I think made this Horse Expo special was that we all saw things as a group. It was smaller than... The typical horse expo. They weren't hoping to get thousands and thousands of people together, although I'm sure that may be a, a future goal. But there were about 150 or 200 people in a group. We were all at the Straiter Theater, at the Straiter Ho- Hotel, and we did things as a group. From the keynote address from Wendy Williams, To the very last reception dinner, we were there together. We got to see things as a group.
1: Mm -hmm. I found that very, very enjoyable as well. You made great connections with the people. You were seeing these presentations at the same time. You could then discuss them, your own experiences, compare notes with each other. I really liked it.
0: Meals were provided. There was a lunch and there was a dinner one evening. And we got to mingle with different people during those times, and we got to share what we each took from those particular presentations.
1: Right. So the format was, was pretty great as well. The morning was spent in the hotel theater when it was cooler, <laughs> so it was kind of nice to be inside. And When
0: it was cooler outside, because it was pretty uh, cold in Durango.
1: Right, exactly. And so we were inside the theater for the morning presentations, which typically had this slide
0: and we more scientifically and oriented. Very
1: scientific. And then the Strader made um, these really great box lunches <laughs> that we could have wherever we liked. But then we moved on over to the fairgrounds with the arena demonstrations in the afternoon when it was supposed to be warmer outside.
0: <laughs> with uh, Jim <laughs> Thomas and Warwick Schiller, where they took the practical things that we had learned from the morning sessions and put them into practice in the afternoon sessions with actual horse and riders in your typical arena doing some some work. Those are very interesting to see and be able to see the practices that you learned in the morning actually applied to horsemanship.
1: And, and both of those fellows did it in a very entertaining way. Mm-hmm. It was very fun.
0: And the other thing I thought was unique about this particular summit was it was a holistic approach, a holistic with a w, meaning it it talked about the whole horse. So you had Cheryl King, who offered insights into horse management and feeding practices and whether you had your horse on a pasture
1: stabling and hours of light exposure. it was it was great. and how you fed. yeah,
0: And then you had Dr. Robert Bowker, who talked about, Horses' feet and...
1: I hoofs, found, and oh my gosh, it was very scientific.
0: <laughs> very, so and a lot of it was over our head. And uh, when I, I don't know what you you think, Renee, but when I go to one of these events, I'm looking for things that I can take and do a little bit more research on to learn a little bit more about. And Dr. Bowker brought some very good questions up. He showed some really cool slides mm-hmm. about pressure points and how much uh, the coffin bone got pressure from the way a horse's foot was shaped. And it was, I I found it fascinating. And it has inspired me to learn more about that style of trimming a hoof.
1: And then staying with that holistic approach to horse practices, Gerd Hushman spoke about the biomechanics of riding and how the rider's body position affects the horse and how it moves, how he holds his back. It was re- really interesting. A lot of slides and photographs of different horses, different positions he talked at length about how they get that big swinging movement on the dressage horses, which we typically don't get in our pleasure horses. But And it was just real interesting.
0: It was. And he has some new and interesting, well, I'm not sure how new they are, but they were new to us, interesting approaches to talking about, about how horses uh, are staying in balance. And one of the the slides that he had had a quote on it that said, the unanswered questions aren't nearly as dangerous as the unquestioned answers. And in pretty much there, he was saying, we don't always have to do what's always been done, that we can look for new approaches in horsemanship that make the horse more comfortable and better balanced and makes for a better experience for both horse and rider.
1: Right, and he comes from the dressage world, which has been around for a very long time. He had a book that was the guiding principles of dressage training that was from eighteen something, right. you know. And if if better ways are discovered of doing things, why not try them?
0: And people had come from all over the United States, Renee, just to to hear these people talk. I right. think one even came from from Nova Scotia. Right. There were people from California, that was us, and there there were others. East
1: Coast, Midwest, mm-hmm. all over.
0: We did get to meet a couple of folks that were that had a very exciting operation they were running in Nebraska. It it's called East Point Hospice. It started out as a horse hospice, but they were getting in so many horses that still had a usable life in them that they wanted to to do something other than just maintain. feed them <laughs> right and so they started a therapeutic riding center with them mm. so we met Charlene and Brian Stevenson during one of the breaks and I asked them if they could if they would mind being recorded we tried to find the most quiet spot uh, available Unfortunately, the Strader's kind of a, a old-time hotel.
1: It's a busy place, too. <laughs>
0: there, there were people <laughs> running in and out. So excuse the noise in the background, but you'll hear, you you can hear the passion and the... Just the love of the horse. The love yeah. of the horse that Brian and Charlene share. And as they tell us about their, their stable that they run and operate in Nebraska. So here's... Brian, and Charlene. We're at the Best Horse Practices in in Durango, Colorado, and we're with Brian and Charlene Stevenson from... East Point Horsepice. Yes, and so tell me a little bit about East Point Horsepice.
2: Well, we started in 2001 as a horse rescue, and we are a 501c3. And after a couple of years, we had so many really nice horses that... People didn't really want to adopt because they were older. They might have had some unsoundnesses. And we thought, we've helped the horses. Now horses can help people. So then we started the equine therapeutic part of our program.
0: Great. And how many horses do you have?
2: We have 19 currently and one donkey.
0: This is fascinating. You have a horse rescue part of your commitment. And you also have a therapeutic riding center. That seems like a very interesting combination. And where do you, where do you decide, or do you just take in all kinds of horses?
2: We do. We, we're different that way because you're right, John. A lot of horse rescues, that's just what they are. They're horse rescues. And therapeutic riding programs... That's what they are. But we have found where they really come together and they help each other. So horses come to us. They're oftentimes owner relinquished. Um, Mm -hmm. If they're unable or or cannot take care of them any longer, um, we'll take them. Uh, We take some with behavioral problems or people problems, and we try to rehabilitate and try to find them new homes that are appropriate or if they make the cut we'll keep them for our therapeutic program
3: i think that's the point too not every horse that we take in is probably suitable for a therapeutic riding program right. especially smaller children that don't have a lot of experience well the riding is providing them more of a physical rehabilitation, if you will. They're mm-hmm. not so much into the equestrian side of it. They aren't learning to be hunter-jumpers or anything. Right. They're learning uh, core strength and developing other parts of their body. So it takes a specific horse to be able to do that. And so some that don't work, we can adopt out and find them a better home and, and let them go on to do another life. So like so much of the stuff that we learn through the horsemanship is just things that seem magical or mystical are, are just Wow! Why didn't I think of that? It isn't that mystical, it's, right. but it's there. And so when we thought, well, we'll take horses that are being given to us and then use them in a program, it was a light bulb moment. It's like, well, it just makes sense. We don't know why more people don't do it right. because it affords the uh, you know the ability for everybody to generate something from that. It's
0: a great way to give many of these horses a second chance at. At working because really horses do so much better when they have a job to do. What kind of of people do you treat in the on the therapeutic riding center, Brian? You mentioned children. Uh, do you also involve vets and? Uh, people with PSTD
3: Well unlike I mean or not unlike but exactly like the horses I mean every walk of life is welcome. Mm-hmm. what our youngest was about two and our oldest was 93 so we've run the age gamut for sure Just because of where we live, I think we don't have a lot of exposure to you know soldiers and military things like that. Mm-hmm. We're reaching out to that and we're trying to develop more of that. A lot of our program in the past has been um, autism, it's been Down syndrome, a lot of neurological disorders and things like that is what we see. We're getting more into the therapy. We currently have a rider who has suffered a stroke who is seeing an incredible benefit from riding the horses. Very awesome. And it was, uh, it was really neat. We've had her therapist come out and, and watch what's going on, and they don't completely understand what the mechanics of it is. We don't. That's been kind of our downside. We're not scientists in the sense that we can... Uh, explain neurologically what's going on the path in the brain and that sort of thing but we know enough to see it when we see it right and we can enjoy it and go wow look at that that we can tell it's happening
0: you're not sure how it works but you do know it works right and that's a good point we should tell folks that you guys are in Nebraska and you traveled all the way to Colorado to the best horse practices summit and what brought you here
3: I think our thirst for knowledge we do want to learn more we want to get more exposure Uh, we're talking to you right now so we're networking in a different situation that we wouldn't have had that opportunity if we hadn't come down here and just anything that we can do that we can learn something take it back and apply it Uh, just if you stop learning or thinking you know everything uh, boy stagnant is not a good thing so
0: and if people want to find out more about uh, your operation and if they if they're interested in helping where can we send them
2: EastpointHorspice.com is our website. And that is, it's a play on words. It's East, E-A-S-T, Point, P-O-I-N-T, and Horspice is H-O-R-S. P-I-C-E. And it really started as a hospice for horses. Oh,
0: very so. good. And I'll have that in the show notes of the of the program. So if people are interested, they can check out there. And then you guys are a 503C, so all the donations are uh, tax Tax deductible. Tax deductible. Great. Yes. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. And that's just a small piece of the conversation. We had a lot of great conversations with both Brian and Charlene and you know, if you're looking for a good charity or some good people to help out who are helping other people, consider contacting East Point Horsepice in Nebraska and, and seeing what you can do.
1: Yeah, they were lovely people.
0: One of the other people we got to talk to was uh, Letitia Glenn, who owns Natural Horseman Saddles. And, of course, if you're going to make the horse Comfortable, and you're going to try and improve your horsemanship. You got to have a comfortable horse. Letitia was one of the sponsors of, of the summit, and we met her on another break. and I asked her to explain a little bit about what made her saddles special and how she came about wanting to to develop a saddle company to
1: make saddles. <laughs> right.
0: So here's Letitia Glenn. We found a little bit quieter place. <laughs> Um, but there's still some noise in the background. But we, I, but here's Letitia Glenn. Great. So we're at the Best Horse Practices Summit in Durango, Colorado, with Letitia Glenn of... Natural Horseman Saddles. And tell me a little bit about Natural
4: Horseman Saddles. Well, thank you for asking, John. Um, approximately 20 years ago, I became intrigued, thanks to uh, actually my friend Linda Pirelli, who suggested that... Saddles were hugely impactful to horses and and, and could lead to crippling problems for horses because they impair a horse's natural way of traveling, and they often put riders in a balance point that is not conducive to effective biomechanics. And the idea that that was so fascinated me. And uh, we began a, a research project of finding saddles that existed on the market and testing them on a huge variety of horses that um, studied at the time the the Pirelli method. They were interested in their horse's point of view mm-hmm. um, in order to build effective relationships with them, these people who love their horses. right? And so we would bring saddle after saddle, Western and English, trying to become keen observers of the horse moving. And we discovered that indeed they weren't happy. We, we could recognize when a horse was traveling efficiently when a horse was happy traveling and we noticed that when saddle makers created a saddle that fit the horse's back while it was the horse was standing still the moment he began traveling there is expansion of the body horizontally and vertically that totally changed the shape underneath that saddle so if it's fit a static Body, mm-hmm. the moving body, the dynamic body requires some accommodation, or how in the world could this somatic creature be comfy
0: and how did you solve that problem?
4: Well, it took several years and many prototypes being constructed we couldn't find them on the market, so we began to um, to build saddles a little bit broader and our intention was to be welcoming of the moving body. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an easy task. It took many prototypes and lots of testing and different sized bodies, different um, conditioned bodies under riders of different disciplines and it took about eight prototypes before we finally had something that was sort of a cross between a Western and an English, shaped like a Western uh, in that it was designed to um, distribute rider weight effectively, but created to promote collection and flexion, such as an English saddle did, so that the horse really could swell up underneath there and
0: be happy. Great, and so if somebody's looking for a saddle, what, what kind of things should they look for? Well, one of the most important things
4: is to make certain that the shoulder area is free. This, mm-hmm. The scapula itself is an enormous device it's a mechanical structure that is drawn back underneath the front of the saddle by muscles that need to bulge in order for the rest of the horse's body to motor along comfortably. And how do they make sure there's
0: clearance there? If
4: you reach underneath your saddle after you're all girthed up and mm-hmm. ready to ride, and make certain, in the case of an English saddle, that the very front of the saddle or the, the, the points of the tree, the internal mm-hmm. structure, um, is behind the scapula's back edge, which you can feel with your fingertips. It's the shoulder blade and the muscles that uh, surround it. If you make sure that an English saddle is behind that point and a Western saddle has the con- the front concho behind that point, right. that's step one in setting up your saddle position on your horse's body. The other thing is after your cinch is tightened, if you can't reach back underneath, high up along the tree bars, and feel all the way back to where the scapula will have to swing back when the horse is in motion, which you can discover by lifting the front leg and pulling it forward. You can feel that bulge that should happen to draw the scapula back as the leg reaches forward. If you can't feel that that's possible, if it feels tight to your hand, Mm -hmm. your horse is going to hold himself stiffly, carry his head higher than he should, probably drop his back, drop his abdominal structure. He won't be able to power up with his body and push up into room underneath the saddle because there's no room. Right. He won't be able to get his hindquarters deep underneath him, and he will
0: not have a happy expression on his face. That's right. (laughs) Now, we're here at the Best Horse Practices Summit in Durango, and you, you live in Colorado, right? Yes, I'm grateful to. And what were you looking forward to most about coming to this?
4: Oh, I'm really excited to have a dialogue continuing that uh, enables people to look at things from their horse's point of view so that they can get to a relationship with that horse quicker and each of them have a good time traveling along, mentally, emotionally, and physically. And that can't be done if the human doesn't understand how the horse thinks, when the horse is reacting negatively, when the horse is in his, uh, as we've learned, parasympathetic nervous system, which is the system in which the horse can learn and have a relationship right. with a human, respond rather than react. There if the go. horse is is forced into a sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight-flight syndrome, which is natural to them, which can happen with poor handling, with not looking at things from the horse's point of view as a learner right. or as a partner or from using equipment such as a saddle which is hugely impactful mm. on a horse if you put an ill fitting piece of equipment on a horse's body they automatically go into their fight flight sympathetic nervous system yes. they cannot function right. they cannot yeah. learn they're they're surviving and getting through it many of them tolerate it better than others yes. this this is a fascinating study for people who are who adore these creatures. And if people want to find out more about your saddles, where shall we send them? NaturalHorsemanSaddles.com is our website. We also have PirelliSaddles.com. We're very proud to be the exclusive providers of Pirelli Saddles, and we Excellent. have many thousands of people riding happy horses all over the world, Western and English, and we have free saddle fit evaluations for you. If you have the slightest question that you may not have a perfectly fitting saddle or your horse is not comfortable in your equipment, we can ask you to send us pictures and we will complimentarily advise you what might help you make your own equipment more comfortable or offer you test ride opportunities so that you can see what it's like when your horse's
0: movement is freed up. Great. Thanks for joining us, Letitia. I think we have another seminar to go to, right? Thank you. Looking forward to it. And it sounds like there's a lot you can do to make sure that your saddle actually fits your horse comfortably. And Letitia has a lot of great tips right there that, that can help you make sure your saddle's fitting your horse correctly. The highlight of the summit for me was the legacy dinner that featured Randy Ryman... I hope I'm saying his name right, and Brian Newbert. Both of these guys had worked with Tom and Bill Dorrance for some part of their life.
1: It sounded like off and on, but for quite a few years over a period of time.
0: And on the evening of Monday night, they put these guys on the stage of the Strader Theater. And if we can paint a little picture, think of your best kind of Western saloon type theater that is a little bit elevated. It's very intimate. They were, like I said. They were in a box. They were in a, a, a theater box. A theater box, yeah. right. And there was about 150 people in the audience. They turned the lights down. These guys had a, a little round table mm-hmm. in front of them. With a spotlight on them. A couple of cups of coffee. And they just started telling stories about their experience with Tom and Bill Dorrance and the impact that they had on their life. Brian was in high school when he wanted to learn more about horses, and he ran into Bill Dorrance, who kind of took him under his wing and mentored him. And, mentored right. him. and it made him, feel, made him feel special. It sure did. As he said he didn't have much friends. <laughs> and when Bill showed a little of attention for him, he, it really kind of built his confidence up and got him into horses and horsemanship. And Randy is a great storyteller.
1: And he wanted to braid Riannas.
0: <laughs> Randy tells the story about how nice Tom and Bill always were. You never heard <laughs> them say a bad word about anything ever. And one of the stories that they told was one of my favorites was that Randy was braiding a Riatta, and he was working on Braiding this riata and putting it together and trying to make it as perfect as possible, and he shows it to his mentor Bill Dorrance, and he and he expects to get a little bit of criticism, but he thought it was was pretty good. And Bill kind of looks it over and he uh, he he said he could spot an imperfection in just a second. And uh,
1: and how long was this riata?
0: With the, yeah, this was his very first one. This was
1: like eighty. A
0: hundred feet of riata? Think, uh, yeah, because he had gotten the hide, and he right. just braided the whole thing and just kept on braiding it. Thinking. So we
1: have a hundred feet of a braided riata, and...
0: <laughs> he finds the single flaw.
1: Bill finds the one piece of leather that's turned upside down.
0: <laughs> and if and if, he, if something wasn't exactly right, Bill would go, well, it's serviceable, and then <laughs> hand it back to
1: you. <laughs> uh, they had some great stories. That was a very fun evening. I enjoyed when they, when they talked about watching a horse show with either of the brothers and how, again, they wouldn't say anything negative or bad about a horse or a rider, but if you were standing beside them, you would just get these little hints of, um, of where they were serviceable or not. And we didn't realize that they had operated out of Salinas. So the, the big stock show that was there in Salinas every year... Was was a pretty big deal for most of the Cowboys. The Dorances didn't really have time for it, but it was a pretty big deal.
0: And we had seen audiovisual people taping and filming the whole event, and we understand that Sometime in 2018, the tapes and the videos of the Best Horse Practices Summit of 2017 is going to be available somewhere. We don't really know exactly where or when yet, but we'll keep you up to date on that. You can always check out besthorsepracticessummit.com and sign up for their newsletter. And I'm sure that when those videos or audio pieces are made available, that you'll be able to get those.
1: They'd really be worth a look if you if you were interested in good horse practices. And there's
0: a lot of great information. So that would do it for this show. I want to thank everybody at the Best Horse Practices Summit for inviting Renee and I to Durango. It was a great time. Durango's a great city to to hold a horsemanship conference. It's a great little town. It's got a lot of wonderful little shops
1: and restaurants and bars and places to eat. And we got to Take a two-step lesson.
0: <laughs> and a train ride. And yeah,
1: it's a beautiful place.
0: We'd also like to thank Charlene and Brian Stevenson of East Point Horspice for joining us on the show. And Leticia Glenn of Natural Horseman Saddles. I'll have links to all their information in the show notes at Woepodcast.com.
1: And hey. Visit woepodcast.com and sign up for the emails and stay up to date with everything that's going on. If you have a suggestion for a guest or a comment,
0: you can email john at woepodcast.com. Use the Apple Podcast app to subscribe to the Woe Podcast and you'll never miss an episode. You can also subscribe on Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. They're all free and they're all on woepodcast.com. The Woe Podcast is produced by John and Renee Hare with occasional research support from Robin Kane and support from you, our listeners. If you'd like to support the show, visit woepodcast.com and click on the Patreon button. Thanks again for listening and sharing our podcast with your riding buddies.
1: Until next time, go have some fun with your horses.
0: Bye-bye, everybody. Found it fascinating. <clears throat> well, that
1: sounds fascinating,
0: John. <laughs> it does sound fascinating.